Welcome to the Becoming Your Best podcast with Steve Schellenberger. You're listening to the show that is guaranteed to help you transform your life and achieve results that otherwise would have seemed difficult or even impossible. In each episode, you'll learn from someone who has achieved extraordinary goals. Steve is the number one national best-selling author. He's successfully started 11 businesses in three separate industries. He is a highly sought-after keynote speaker and corporate trainer for organizations around the world, an executive coach, the father of six, and the founder of Becoming Your Best Global Leadership. Here is Mr. Steve Schallenberger. Welcome to all of our Becoming Your Best podcast listeners, wherever you might be on this planet and in the world today. This is your host, Steve Schallenberger, and we're so thrilled to have you tuned in. And we have a very interesting guest today who specializes in helping people succeed by working on their frame of mind. And so welcome, Kim Addis. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Well, good. And we're excited to have you. And before we get started, I'd like to help our listeners today get a better feel for you and who you are and your background. So let me just tell you a little about Kim. Uh, she is the president and founder of Frame of Mind Coaching and Journal Engine Software. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. She's an author, a speaker, an entrepreneur, a coach, and she's recognized as one of North America's foremost experts on performance through thought mastery. And by using her unique process of integrating online journaling in her coaching, Kim helps uh, her highly driven clients to examine and shift their thinking in order to yield extraordinary results. Now, after earning an undergraduate degree in psychology, Kim received her MBA from the University of Ottawa between 1995 and 2005. And she has five kids and a wonderful husband whom she loves dearly. <laughs> and she speaks French fluently. She loves dancing in the kitchen. And uh, those who know her says, say, don't be surprised when you make Kim laugh really hard and no sound comes out of her mouth. <laughs> I love it. She lives in Toronto, Canada with her husband and uh, her family. And for her, family is paramount. And this priority remains at the core of all of her endeavors. So, well, Kim, let's jump right into it. And so tell us about what your life was like as you grew up as a youth and a young person. Where did you grow up? And, and tell us about some of the formative experiences that you had. Well, I grew up in Montreal, and uh, I was the youngest child of three, and I kind of came as a pleasant surprise, so my, uh, my siblings are substantially older than me, and as a kid, I was kind of a shy kid. I was the type of kid who would sit at the window and watch the other kids play outside, um, and, uh, you know, wanting to be a part of it, but not, you know, feeling welcomed or invited or not feeling bold enough to step outside and say, hey, can I join? So that was me as a kid, like as a, as a elementary school kid. As I grew older, I started to get more and more involved in uh, student council and more leadership type of activities, and that kind of drew me out a little bit. And uh, through that, I found a little bit of my voice. 
Well, great. Yeah, those are great experiences, uh, aren't they? As you start becoming involved with other people, having the chance to serve and and uh, realize that you have gifts and strengths and and uh, and that they start to flourish, you become aware of those. Well, I think I think sometimes it takes somebody to notice that you have a spark or an ability or a passion or something to contribute. But when someone else notices and they shed a light on that, you have the option to step into the light or to step back. And I think for me, I just uh, decided to go with it. Oh, that's a wonderful example. I'm glad that you shared those. And one of the things that's interesting is that this is not always just bound by age as a young person. Uh, but that can happen to a person as even a person that's a little further along as people see things that they're capable of doing or they're invited to step up. Uh, they can do exactly what you said. They can either step up or step back. But when they step up and are invited to serve, to help others, to, to meet the mark, really some wonderful things can happen. Absolutely. And, and you know what, that's a lot of what we do in coaching is we help shine the light on what people are really good at. And when people see themselves in that light, they feel a little bit more confident, a little bit more bold, a little bit more courageous to, you know, step outside and say, hey, can I join? Well, good. I'm excited to talk a little bit more about that and what you do and how that helps create a, a transformation. I'd love to talk about that stuff. <laughs> okay. Well, Kim, what's the biggest challenge in your life, whether it be in your personal life or your, your professional life? And, and, and what did you do to handle this? How did you deal with it? Well, for me, one of the biggest challenges was just going through, I, I was divorced and that was a tough, tough period. Um, the, my husband at the time was also a business partner. And so that was a very, very tough time in my life. It was actually, you know, very, very difficult. Uh, it was stressful. It was worrisome. I was filled with, um, you know, concerns for my children and, uh, it was just one of the hardest times in my life. And uh, for me at the time, there were two couple of things that I did. One of the things I did was I journaled. And, uh, you know, there were moments through that period where I could barely breathe. And the journal was like a source of oxygen for me. It just allowed me to always recalibrate. And so what I did with my journaling was that I would write down all the things that I was thinking, all the fears, all the worries, all the doubts, all the, you know, I was angry, all the things that I felt, disappointed. And when I was done with that, when I finished my process of unloading almost on a daily basis, I would always end my journal with, okay, so what do I want now? Where am I going? What kind of relationship do I want? What kind of life do I want? How do I want to live my life on a day-to-day -day basis? Um, you know, who do I want to be? What kind of business do I want to be in? What, you know, how do I want to raise my kids? And I would always end up focusing on what I want. So that was a huge component of managing that piece. The other part was, you know, when, for whoever's listening, if you have ever gone through divorce, one of the most taxing pieces is like what happens to these children and then all of a sudden you have your children who are being raised in two different homes with two different approaches and two different you know two different mentalities and uh, that really was tough for me I just felt like you know I didn't know if I was doing the right thing by sharing custody and I just felt really um, 
always stressed about that. I knew that my kids weren't 100% happy at all times, and that really caused pain for me, and I didn't know what to do. And I was given a really great piece of advice at one point, and that advice was just be a great mother. When you're with your kids, be the best mother you can be. And it really helped me to um, live with the situation and focus my attention on what I could provide to my kids when they were with me and really fortify them and uh, give them all the love that I could without trying to worry about the things that I really had no control over. So that was, those were the two things that, was, that really helped me handle that time in my life. Oh, I love that advice. If we don't talk about anything else today, uh, I think that advice can be uh, of great value to anyone that may be touched by divorce. Uh, and uh, I think every single person that's listening is touched by divorce in one way or another, uh, either personally or family members or friends. I know that my parents were divorced when I was 14. Uh, my mom, as a single mom, struggled uh, really in poverty uh, to raise uh, the four children that, was, that were still at home. Uh, and uh, I've seen others that are close to us, and it's tough. I mean, it's really tough. It's tough. You know, divorce does funny things to people. It triggers a lot of fear. And, uh, you know, you're with someone that you, you, you loved for a period of time, and then all of a sudden the, the person you trusted most um, feels like an enemy. And, you know, you completely lose your calibration. And when that happens, you behave in funny, strange, weird ways. And uh, you become protective. You become uh, a little bit antagonistic. Uh, but you feel sometimes like you're in a war. And, and people who go through divorce with elegance understand that it's not a war, but it's hard to get your mindset there. Okay, that's a good point. And because things, you know, if you really work on doing the right things, uh, and as you know, you know, in, in, in my book, Becoming Your Best, there's 12 principles we talk about that help people get a, get back on track. And so... You know, if you can do that, as you talk about, and I want to hear about the journaling, this right frame of mind, uh, because I think it helps start asking the right questions. And the minute people get out of this, uh, you know, the, the hard feelings, the tough feelings, the weight, the burden, and start asking, well, you know, what's next? How can I do better? How do I get on track to live a great life? And like you said, how can I be the best mother every time I'm with my children. And, and so when you start asking these questions, then we start getting on a positive track. Ideas and inspiration start coming. And, and uh, I, I also suppose, and we can just get into this, there's a, also this emotional component maybe when you have a broken relationship like this. And it could be not only in a marriage, but it could be a work or whatever where you feel like a little bit of a failure or you know maybe you couldn't have cut it. Did you have to deal with any of that, and how do you get back on track? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you know, when you go through divorce, you wonder, like, what did I do wrong in this relationship? Was I not worth it enough? Well, you know, you have all kinds of conversation, to, and to make matters worse, in my case, uh, we were business partners, and for me, <laughs> wow. I had to sell my business, and that was very, very tough, and so... Uh, throughout the whole thing, I felt like, man, you know, I'm just failing left, right, and center. I really did. And my kids had a tough time for a while, too. They really had a tough time. They would call me from their dad's house crying 
um, begging for me to come and pick them up. And I just felt like I was failing as, you know, I failed as a wife, I failed as a business owner, and now I'm failing as a mother. So I absolutely felt a huge amount of failure. Well, thanks for being so open and honest and vulnerable about this, because I think it helps a lot of people. You mean there's hope afterwards? Oh, definitely. There's hope, and and honestly, I think one of the one of the biggest things that we need to do when we have experienced failure, or when we're telling ourselves the story that we are failures, is uh, is is really address that thinking, that conversation that we're having in our head, that mental chatter that causes us to feel debilitated and paralyzed. That's the most important thing that needs to happen. Okay, good. Well, virtually every person in the world today, I think, that I've met is looking for ways to do better, to try to improve their chances for success and to be happy in life and to do well professionally. So you've developed a a really a successful business. Tell us about your business and what you do and how you help people. So we coach a very specific type of person. We coach a person who is highly driven, but typically they have four things in common. Number one is that they have really big goals that they want to achieve. Number two is that they're really good people and they want to make a difference in the world and, uh, you know, make an impact in a positive way. Number three is that they're spirited people and they want to live extraordinary lives. They want to have great relationships. They want to travel. They want to make money. They want to be in good shape. And they really want everything that life has to offer. And number four is they tend to get in their own way and they get frustrated and they have conflicts in their relationships. And they, you know, they're very, very frustrated because they keep bumping into the same problems over and over and over again and they don't really know how to overcome that. So we work with those types of people and we're looking at how they think and how their thinking impacts their outcomes. So when we coach people, we take them through a very interesting process and uh, very often we coach people for quite a period of time, but it's the first 10 weeks that are most foundational. So here's what happens in the first 10 weeks of coaching. There's a call once a week. Every call is recorded. So why do we record the calls? So that our clients can start to listen to the recordings and become observers of their own thinking. See, the premise here is that everything begins with your thinking. Every action you take, every experience you have, every relationship you have begins with your thinking. So there are lots of things that we can't necessarily control in the world, but we can control the way we think. Before we can control our thinking, we have to become aware of it. So giving people the opportunity to hear themselves increases their awareness. It helps them hear their, their tone, the language they use, the stories they tell over and over again, the perspectives they have. So we're teaching people to be masters of their own thinking. The second part of what we do when we coach people is we give them access to a private journal and we ask them to journal every single day for the duration of their coaching period. So at the beginning of the week, we give them a journaling question or a prompt and they start to journal. Every time they journal, the journal goes to a coach. We have a team of coaches, goes to a coach and the coach reads and responds to the journal. So imagine you're in dialogue with your coach every single day. And the purpose of this process is that when people journal, they're expressing what's going on in their thoughts, what's going on in their minds and their stories and their day-to-day encounters. And what we start to do is start to pick up the patterns, the patterns of thought that cause people to get in trouble, to feel paralyzed, to get stuck, to get frustrated, to get into conflict. 
Okay, so can you give us a, an example of that? Let's, let's take an example of something they're caught in. Uh, gosh, I have so many examples. I'll give you a very <laughs> simple example. I was coaching uh, a professional, a professional uh, gentleman who came to me, and one of the questions I asked him was, you know, what's the most important thing in your life? And this was on day one. I asked him at the very beginning of coaching. He said, hands down, the single most important thing to me is that uh, is my relationship with my wife. I want to make sure that we're intimate, that we're on the same page, that we spend quality time together, that we're headed in the same direction, that we agree. By far, it's more important than any other relationship, more important than my kids, more important than my business, more important than anything else. It's my relationship with my wife. Okay, perfect. I got it. I wrote it down. I made a mental note. And uh, about three weeks later, he wrote in his journal, I got into a massive fight with my wife. And I responded, what happened? And he explained that he and his wife got into a disagreement with respect to one of their children. And they just didn't agree on uh, something, you know, he wanted to go out very late and he thought it was a bad idea. This child was struggling in school, uh, needed to wake up early for school, and that wouldn't contribute to his success. And the wife thought that, you know, it would be okay for him to go out late at night. And they got into such a big fight. And he said, I... I was so mad, I was so angry that I slept in the other room. And so if we go back to his original desire, his greatest, most important thing was to be intimate with his wife. The sleeping in the other room accomplished that. <laughs> it doesn't. And so what happens is in, in, in the midst of living our lives, we lose our way right? We lose our direction. We lose our focus. We lose our priorities. We lose a sense of what's most important to us. We get trapped. And that happens over and over and over and over again. And, you know, I work with a lot of people and they say, well, what's the number one recommendation that you have for people? And I say, the number one recommendation is figure out where you are right now. Like I remember the other day, my daughter went downtown. It was March break. So she went downtown with her friends and uh, she took the subway, and all of a sudden she called home, and she said, I'm a little lost. I can't find my way back to the subway. Can you help me find my way back? And my husband took the call, and he said, well, where are you now? And like, what street are you on? Like, look to the, to the left and the right and in front of you. What do you see? Right? And so the most important thing is to, to really take stock of where you are right now before you take a move to go somewhere else. And if he hadn't asked her that, if he just said, walk straight, you know, we don't know. Is straight, is straight the right direction? We don't know until we get our bearings. And what I find is oftentimes people identify a goal. They're goal-oriented. They say, okay, like I want to start a business or I want to do this. And they, and they say, okay, I'm going to go, right? And they, and they start taking action and then they get stuck. Why? Because they never took their bearings first. They never figured out where they were. They never figured out how their mind was wired. And they ended up, they end up walking down a dark alley and bumping into the same dead end over and over and over again. And they say, I don't understand why I'm doing that. Right. So, uh, so you're helping them become aware of where they're at. And let's take it. And I love that. That's, that's wonderful because you're starting with really identifying the things that are most important to people. And let's take this example of the fellow that had the fight with his wife. So there was a, a you know, a disconnect from what he really wanted. And now he's sleeping on the couch. <laughs> right. It's not where we wanted to be. So what did you do to help him? How do you get him to correct that or fix that the next time around so that, you know, you just don't go there. You, you figure out a different way to do it. How do you handle that? 
Well, my, my job is to remind him what's sing- singularly most important to him. And so, uh, and to also understand what caused him to be so mad that he ended up taking the action to sleep in the other room. And so, you know, in his case, he really genuinely deep down inside felt that he was right. And he may have been right. But in, in needing to be right, he's sacrificing his happiness and his priorities and his um, top-line values. Okay. All right. That's great. Now, I just have a, a, a side question here. Uh, one of the things that we recommend to uh, our listeners and people that we work with is to develop a thoughts book. It's basically a notebook, you know, has 300 pages in it and just have just, <clears throat> excuse me, a, a mind flow, a, a mind dump of things that are on your mind <clears throat> or things that inspire you or dreams. Uh, have you found, uh, a difference of whether you write it down physically or whether it's on the computer. Uh, how does that work for you? And and uh, do you, have you had an experience in that way where you have a preference one way or another? Um, well, uh, you know, I work with people online so that I could read and respond to their journals. Right. But I'm, you know, I'm a big believer in journaling, whether you're using a pen and a paper or you're using some kind of online system, it doesn't matter. One of the beautiful benefits about about journaling is that your mind works a whole lot faster than your fingers do when you're, whether you're typing or writing by hand. And so what's actually happening when you journal is you're slowing your mind down to almost a meditative state. Hmm. So it's allowing you some space. And so um, people who journal, you'll find, have lower blood pressure. Like they use it as a way to just calm themselves down and, and start to focus on what it is that they want. Okay. Well, I, that's a great insight. I, that's wonderful. What a powerful uh, practice that uh, journaling is, isn't it? It's awesome. It's amazing. And, and, you know, you find that when people journal, amazing things happen to them. Well, I'll say some of the best thoughts I've had is, has been as I've just been writing things. And it, and it can just come in the middle of, of uh, any time. It can be a serendipitous thing. And all of a sudden, bang, it comes out. And if you have your journal handy, you can capture it. And it might be 3 in the afternoon or 3 in the morning. But there it is. Then you can go back to sleep. <laughs> That's right. Awesome. Okay. So uh, how can you help uh, young people develop the habit of doing these things? Uh, of uh, figuring out where you're at and then focusing on getting the right thoughts. You know, it's funny. It's it, you know, you can't just get the right thoughts, okay. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and so, what we want to do is we want to help people become aware of how they feel, right? So, if you feel anything negative—bad, mad, sad—any any negative experience—that's really your GPS that says, okay. So, if I'm feeling these negative things, that's an indicator. That's like a signal to me that says that my thoughts are pointed away from what I really want, right? So when my thoughts are pointed towards what I want, I feel pretty good. I feel happy. I feel optimistic. I feel uh, courageous. I feel all these positive feelings. When I feel bad, that's an indicator that my thoughts are really um, contradicting my deepest desires. And so what we're trying to teach people is just to be aware of how they feel. And when they notice they're feeling negatively, the idea is to say, okay, so like, what am I thinking about this subject that's causing me to feel bad? And can I I start to think about it a little bit differently? Okay, well, that's great, Kim. And and so really what you're teaching people uh, is to really discipline themselves to have only really positive 
great thoughts that help their life. No, that's okay, not good. what I'm doing. All right, lay it on us. Lay it okay, on us. Because we can't only have positive thoughts, and that's you know that's not human nature. And we don't want people to only have positive thoughts. We want them to have negative thoughts because negative thoughts are telling. They're informative. They tell us when something's off, when something's not right, when you know negative negative thoughts and negative uh, emotions are are helpful. They're useful. And they provide us with a whole bunch of information. And so what, I, what I'm trying to teach people to do is milk the information. So if you're having an experience that's really a negative experience, don't sit in that experience forever. Identify what you didn't like about that experience and then start to think about what you would rather have. Okay, so what I'm really trying to teach people to do is to pivot quickly or to get out from their adversity with speed and agility. Those people who are most successful have a higher degree of emotional resilience than others. So when something bad happens to them, they recover faster. And so that's what I'm trying to teach people to do, recover faster, not to never have any negative experiences. That's not the way, you know, life is wired. Oh, that's great. Well, I'm glad you took some extra time on that. So what you're saying, that's a natural part of life. And it's being aware of that and what we do when we have those experiences is important. That's right. That's right. And the way we think about negative experiences and the way we leverage negative experiences and turn them into something perhaps a little bit more positive. Okay. So how do you teach a teenager to do that? Let's say we're working with a parent today. How do they coach young ones? Well, you know what, I do a lot of work with parents on raising their kids. And one of the most important things that I teach parents is that you are modeling behavior that you want to teach your kids. So when your kids are doing something that you don't like, your reaction to that demonstrates and gives kids a cue about what's okay for them to do. So I'll give you a perfect example. One day, so I have five kids. One day I walked into, I walked, I walked into my living room. It was after a long day. I was at work. And I see my son, and he's lying down on the couch, and he's got a computer on his chest. He's got his shoes on. It was a leather couch. He's got bags of chips and empty water bottles all <laughs> over the floor. And on the armrest, he has two pieces of cheddar cheese without a plate. Okay. So I walk in and I see this scene and I have choices. My choices are how do I react? Now, what's going on in my head is what the heck is going on here? <laughs> you know, that's my leather couch and that's cheese <laughs> on the couch, right? So inside of me, I'm, I'm reacting in a pretty strong way. And uh, I would imagine that a lot of parents would react the same way. And the other part of it is that a lot of conversation would occur in, in a parent's mind that said, you know, like he's being disrespectful, he's being lazy, he's being messy, you know, and, and all those negative terms. So I have a choice on how to respond to something like that. In that moment, my choice was to say, my son's name was Lewis or is Lewis, and, you know, my choice was to say, Lewis, what are you doing? So just asking him. His answer at the time was, I'm designing a, a, a skateboard for my sister. You know, now all of a sudden, is he lazy and disrespectful? And all that didn't matter anymore, did it? So my ability to have self-control is really important as a parent. My ability to assume positive intent is really important. My ability to create an environment where my kid is able to be himself and explore life as it is, is really important. What did I do? I got a plate 
I put the cheese on the plate and I said, Hey, Lewis, cheese, you know, cheddar cheese on a, on a, on a leather to coach creates stains. Don't do that again. Show me your skateboard. Well, that's great. Well, that's a powerful answer. Yeah. It's not so much what you say. It's what, what you do that, that people see and remember and, and leaves the most indelible uh, impact on people. So that's a, that's a great example. I appreciate you giving that response. Yeah, my pleasure. Well, I can't believe how fast time goes. We're already up with our time, but how can our listeners learn more about what you're doing? Well, I recommend to anyone who's listening, you know, I mentioned before that one of the most important things is to really figure out where you are now. And one of the things that I encourage people to do is to go on to the website, frameofmindcoaching.com. And right there, there's an assessment. It's called, uh, you know, assess your frame of mind. And that allows you to get a snapshot of where you are right now. What's working in your life? What isn't working in your life? And it gives you a chance to do a little bit of journaling and explore um, you know, your feelings and your thoughts about certain things, that assessment goes to a coach who gets to review it with you. I strongly encourage anybody who's listening to take that assessment because once you get your bearings, you know how to pivot, you know how to turn yourself towards where you're heading. If you're heading in the wrong direction, you're just going to keep banging your head against the same wall over and over and over again. Well, what a great resource and that'd be wonderful to <clears throat> take advantage of it. I can't wait to do it. <laughs> oh, good. I hope you do. <laughs> Will do. I'll uh, review it myself. <laughs> okay, that sounds great. Well, you've done such a fabulous job today, and we wish you all the best as you're certainly making a difference in the world. So thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you for the opportunity. You bet. And to all of our listeners, never forget, you too can make a difference every single day of your life. I'm Steve Schallenberger with Becoming Your Best Global Leadership, wishing you a great day. And thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Becoming Your Best podcast. We want to know what your big takeaways were, so head on over to becomingyourbest.com and you can find all the information about the podcast right there as well as the show notes page where we'd love to hear what you thought about each and every single episode. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please go subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave a rating and review. A rating and review is by far the best way for you to show your appreciation for the show because it helps other people find out about the show and decide if this is the podcast for them. So now it's all in your hands. It's time for you to go out there to take action and truly start becoming your best.